the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Hey, we're in Galatians chapter 4 today, Galatians chapter 4. My voice came back. That was, uh, I'm so happy that my voice came back. It actually came back, like, started to come back later that evening. And uh, I'm just, I just, man, Lord, that was weird, you know, that my voice was completely gone. And, and uh, but Kevin did a phenomenal job, didn't he? Didn't he? He did a great job. I was very blessed to, to see Kevin just pick up the ball and run with it and, and, uh, he forest gumped that sucker to the end zone, man. He, he did a good job. All right. We are in Galatians chapter 4 today. Galatians chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 21. Why don't we stand together? We're going to read these verses so that we can get some blood going through your legs. Because you're going to be sitting for the next few moments. Okay, that was not true. You're going to be sitting for quite a few more moments. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. Tell me, Paul says, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. Which things are symbolic. It's important. For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who do not travail, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But, as he who was born according to the flesh, Ishmael, then persecuted him, Isaac, who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law, for you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, 
Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Father, help us to understand this passage and then help us to apply it to our lives that we may grow thereby and become the men and the women that you desire us to be. Help us to live free and stand fast in the liberty by which we have been afforded by Jesus Christ and him crucified and him risen again. Thank you, Lord, for Easter last week that we celebrated and we remembered and we memorialized what that day meant. And we rejoice that we have life because of you and only because of you. And it is by your grace that we are saved through faith and that not even of ourselves. It is a gift from you, not a result of our works that any of us should boast. For we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so what we have here is uh, Paul is dealing with the Corinthians, or, or the Galatians, I'm sorry. And and you know, as we have talked about this, and we've kind of had a, a, a break uh, of Easter week, and uh, so we've kind of have separated it by a week, but... I, I did speak through chapter four last time we were together, which was two weeks ago, but I didn't really spend a whole lot of time from verse 21 on. And so I just want to touch on a couple of things there and not just gloss over it very quickly. I didn't want to just quickly go and move into chapter five today because I, I wanted to make a couple of points that I think bear uh, it necessary to articulate to us and for us to learn and for us to to know as we we move on because Paul felt it so needful to speak about this allegory allegory yeah it's an allegory he says it right there in verse uh 24 which he says these things are symbolic the word symbolic, if you were to look that up, it's allegoreo, which is where we get our word allegory from. And an allegory is, it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's a story. It's a, it's an actual type of a story that we can understand. We, we can, Jesus did a lot of this, didn't he? You know, when we think of the parable of the four soils, it's like a parable. It's an allegory. It has a, a a story, but there's a deeper meaning. There's another meaning to it. There is something else that you can you can uh, uh, learn from it, and that's what Paul is talking about. Not that there wasn't a necessary need for all of this to happen back in the book of Genesis with Abraham and Ishmael and Isaac and Hagar and Sarah. You know, there was a necessary need for that. We look back, I, one of the things that I love about the Bible, and I hope that you guys do, and maybe you, you haven't looked at it this way, but I love, one of the reasons I love the Bible, and there are many reasons, but one of the things that I so desperately love about the Bible is that the Bible will sit there and articulate men of the heroes of the faith. 
I mean, when we talk heroes of the faith, if we were to even just talk about faith, what do we know about Abraham? What is Abraham known as? The father of the faith, right? He's the father of the faith. Just seeing if you are awake here. Yes, he's the father of faith. So, so we know that because the Bible has articulated that, right? You know, we, we understand that God, you know, spoke to Abraham and Abraham believed it. And so here's the thing. God spoke to him about a son that he was going to have. And, and Abraham believed God and God accounted it unto him for righteousness sake. And therein lies the beginning of what we see as the father of faith, where God spoke, Abraham believed, didn't really know how it was going to happen. He was an old man, you remember. But here he is. Believing God for something that seems so improbable. 86 years old, I believe. God speaks to him. You're going to have a son. Wait a minute. My wife, she's so old. Okay. All right. I believe it. You know, if God were to come to me and and, and say, Don, you and Lynette are going to have another little boy. (laughs) That would be wild. Now, I might understand that a little bit more and I, I might be able to, to grasp it a little bit more and say, oh, okay, all right. Um, we're, we're out of the childbearing years, um, but you can do all things, Lord. And, and so maybe it wouldn't be a, a huge stretch of the faith. But now if God came to, say, my mother and father, Dick and Sharon, and said, now, Sharon's going to have another baby. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to. I mean, <laughs> she's gonna have another baby. Now we would sit there and go, okay. Now listen, that that's the idea. That's the idea. And they're a lot younger. They're a lot younger than Abraham was. And so here's the thing that that Abraham had the kind of faith that. Can you imagine if if God spoke to Dick, my my father-in-law, and said? Listen, you're going to have another child. And he goes, okay, I believe that. Now, we might look at him and go, oh, you're such a nice guy. You know, <laughs> you know, good for you. Good for you. And, and we might placate him and we might pat him on the back while we're rolling our eyes when we're not looking at him going, oh, the poor guy's losing it, you know. And, and but, you know, I have to believe that that's what people were saying to Abraham. But God believed him or but, but Abraham believed God. And God says, that's the kind of faith that I'm going to build my church on. Right. That's what I'm going to build salvation upon. It's going to be on faith. And it's going to be so uh illogical uh, it's going to be so far reaching that it will take a major step of faith and i believe that that's the reason why god spoke to abraham in his elder years and said i'm going to do something that nobody in the world would believe and and it was the it was the genesis it was the birth of faith and so here's the thing please understand all of the things that we see in the old testament all of these things in the old testament are 
<laughs> Anna just keeps laughing. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Help us understand. <laughs> but here, here's the thing. All of the things that we see in the Old Testament, they're pictures of things to, to come in the new. When we look at the of the articles, all of the articles of the temple, what, what was first the tabernacle, right? You know the difference between the tabernacle and the temple is that the tabernacle was was a a, uh, a movable structure with made with skins and what have you, but it still had the same ark of the covenant in it, and still had the you know the the same menorah in there. It still had the same table of showbread in there. It same had the still had the same you know washing laver laver outside. It still had all of the articles of the temple within the movable temple or the movable tabernacle. But once they became settled in Jerusalem, no longer needing the tabernacle, a fixed structure was built. And therein, the Ark of the Covenant and all the the articles of the temple were then put into there. and, And now there was a temple. Now understand, they were all symbolic. They were all symbolic of something to come. Here's a really cool picture for those of you who like symbology in the Old Testament. I love the picture. What do we know that covered the the the, cov- the Ark of the Covenant? What was the lid called? You remember? It was what? The mercy seat. How was it? How was it created? What what was what was the the mercy seat? What kind of give me an idea of of what it kind of looked like? What we understand that it looked like according to how the Bible says that it was supposed to be built. Two two cherubim, two angels, right? They're both facing each other, one at one end and one at the other, right? Now, some of you have heard this before, but some of you, right here, I, I hate to do this to you, but your mind's going to go, it's going to blow right now. You ready? When Christ rose again from the dead, there was an angel sitting at, at the head, and there was an angel sitting at the feet of where Jesus laid. It is a picture the symbolical picture of Jesus Christ being the mercy seat. I love it. The Bible doesn't make mistakes. It doesn't just come up with things that that are 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 they don't mean something. They they mean something later on. They there's a deeper meaning to these things. Now, as we look back and and we that there's many ideas and many different symbologies out through all of the Old Testament and into the New Testament and even into heaven. Okay? But here's here's the situation. The picture that we have before us here from verse 21 in chapter 4 of Galatians all the way through the rest of the chapter. Paul is using... The father of faith and even his lack of faith to show, okay, you tried to do something in and of your own flesh to help me out. We know the story, right? We know the story of Abraham and, 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 uh, Sarah. You know, God had given 
the word to Abraham that you're going to have a son. And it went for about another 12 years, 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. And no son had been given yet. And so what we see is that Sarah goes, you know, I don't doubt you, husband. (laughs) But, you know, maybe we just got this all wrong. I'm an old woman. Maybe God was saying that you needed to have a baby through someone else and I would raise the baby myself, but let's, let's do that. Why don't you take my handmaiden? Listen, (laughs) if your wife ever says, let's help God out, honey, you go take that woman. Don't listen to your wife, okay? That's a bad thing. Nothing good is going to come out of that situation. I I can't even imagine what was going through Abraham's head. Are you kidding me? You're telling me what? Yeah, just this once. And that Abraham actually listened to his wife and 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 went ahead and did that. God didn't even acknowledge it. <laughs> they had a baby, Ishmael. And, and God loved, you know, he, he impregnated Hagar and Hagar had a baby and, and Abraham began to raise this child as his own as it was. And, and he began to grow and, and, and then God comes and speaks to Abraham again and says, Hey, I'm going to give you a child through your loins. And it's like Abraham felt like he needed to remind God, Hey, uh, I, I know you see all things. And you know all things. You're omniscient. There's nothing that is hidden from you. But I think that you, one thing might have slipped your, your, your knowledge. I already have a baby. You, you see, I, I have Ishmael. Oh God, I, I know you said, you know, that you're going to give me a child, but let it all pass through Ishmael. Obviously, you were taking a little bit long. We thought that we, we actually came up with a plan to actually have this baby and this is him. So what do you think? This is what we made. And God says, no, your wife Sarah is going to have a baby. To which Sarah goes, <laughs> and, and, and the angels go, hey, why did your wife laugh? She goes, I did not laugh. He goes, oh, but you did laugh. That's a a humorous story to me. I can't go too much into it. But here's the thing. Do you think that Abraham and Sarah at that moment thought, okay, we were really old when you gave us the, the promise and now we're a whole lot older and we tried to help you out. Now you're saying you're gonna do it still through us? And God never recognized what Abraham and Sarah's and Hagar's plan was. And Hagar didn't really have a choice in it. She was a handmaid. And and, and so the the, the situation is they created Ishmael. They had Ishmael and now they got a problem. Can, if, if there isn't any, you know, other lesson that we can see in this portion 
of, of our lesson. Can, can I just share with you this and for you and for me for the rest of our lives? When we begin to help God out, when we have a promise of the Lord, when God is speaking to us and he directs us down a path, when we try to help God out because he's not working fast enough for us, can I tell you, and, and, and almost in an in a exhortation and a warning, we oftentimes, so oftentimes in our life, make a whole bunch of Ishmaels. And right now, I don't have to direct our attention back to September 11th of 2001 to bring to your attention that Abraham's mistake is still killing us today. What? Yeah. That's the father of the Muslim faith, Ishmael. They trace their roots back, not to Isaac, but to Ishmael. God will never recognize yours or my deeds of the flesh. God doesn't need our help. He just wants us to be obedient, right? One of the things that disqualified King Saul from being king was just that, wasn't it? Tried to help God out, tried to do things more so for himself because it seemed right in his own eyes. I want you to go and take out all of the Amalekites. I want you to wipe them out. I want you to wipe. It's a cancer in this, in this, in this nation or in this world. These people are so far gone. They are so corrupt. Everything that they've touched is corrupt. And I'm asking you to, you're going to have to eradicate that. And I know that that's a hard thing for us as Christians to understand and to reconcile. That God would ever say to completely and totally exterminate a people that had become so vile that they would not ever even turn their eyes up to the Lord. That's a hard thing for us to understand. But it would be just as hard for people back in the day to understand you and I, one of us in here having cancer, and for a doctor to cut you open and spread you, splay you out, and go in and take whatever cancer is in there and cut it out and then sew you back up. There was a time that that, you don't do that. Let's do something different, but that's, that's horrific. That's, that's what barbarians do, cutting into each other. And yet we understand it as surgery. We pay a lot of money for it, don't we? We understand. And, and it's, I, I want you to understand that, that the Amalekites were a picture of cancer upon the face of the earth that God says this is going to continue to create problems and it's going to continue to destroy mankind. And God, God says, take this out. Well, Saul didn't do it. But he comes back. You remember to Samuel, the prophet. And Samuel says, what have you done, Saul? And he goes, hey, I did everything that your God. He never said, I'm my God. He said, your God asked me to do. 
Oh, that the Lord be blessed. I did everything that your God told me to do. And Samuel says, well, then what is the bleeding of sheep that I hear in my ears? And Saul goes, well, uh, okay, I'm busted. Have you ever been busted and you come up with a real quick story on the spot? That's Saul. Oh, well, um, and you always make it a really spiritual thing, don't you? You know, you make it at something that sounds really, really good. And I remember, I know that not a lot of people like Bill Cosby anymore, but he, he had one little thing about a little kid getting a cookie that his mom said, don't get out of that cookie jar. And the little kid just couldn't stop. And he kept, every time his mom turned her back, you know, he was going after it. And finally he got to that thing and, and, and this, he was getting this and she, mom came in and she goes, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm, I'm getting a cookie for you. <laughs> Getting a cookie for you. I mean, we come up with those things on the spot. I mean, who had to train that kid to do that? Nobody. A sin. Sin did it, you know. We all do that. But Samuel, you know, Saul goes, oh, well, these sheep, I figured that when we got back, we that God would want us to sacrifice. And and so I brought back some uh, some sacrificial items for the Lord. Oh, aren't I spiritual? And Samuel said, Saul, to obey is far better than sacrifice. And and here's the thing. Saul created something out of the flesh. What's interesting. Is it the man, the sword bearer, the man who ended up dying... The last person to see Saul alive, do you know, was an Amalekite? Here's the thing. We do that all the time. We are in danger of doing that all the time, guys. But know this. God doesn't recognize our help. He wants us to just obey and trust. That's where faith comes in. The point is here is that Abraham, though he is the father of faith, what I love, as I started to say, what I one thing I really, really, really love about the Bible is that it shows the warts of our heroes. Man, if everybody, if King David, if 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 Abraham, if if Moses, if all of these guys, Paul, if we look at all these guys and they're just perfect, how can I relate to that? How can you relate to how can we relate to a man that's perfect? Or a woman that's perfect. We can't. There's only one perfect and it's who? Jesus Christ, right? And so what I love about the Bible is it says, you know what? Here's the thing. Abraham is the father of faith. But man, that guy screwed up a lot. You know, David was a man after my own heart. Do you know when it says that God says that David is a man after my own heart? Do you know that that was after he had committed adultery with, with Bathsheba. You go, how in the world, God, would you ever say that David would be a man after your own heart? Well, because, because there is a thing called repentance that we can see in scripture where David cries out in Psalm 51 against you and you only have I committed this sin and done this iniquity before you, oh God, that you would be blameless in your judgment to me. Create within me. 
a new heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And the word that he uses there for create in me a new heart is the word that we find all the way back in the very first verse of of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. The word is bara. There's a couple of different words you can use for create. And one of the words is create out of existing materials, but the word bara, B-A-R-A-W, bara, out of, in the, in the Hebrew, literally means to create out of non-existing material. And there is David's use of that word there in Psalm 51. Create within me, create in me a new heart. Take this heart out. Don't fashion it to make it better. Don't cleanse it. He says, rip this old heart out of me and God place within me a new heart that you create for me that I can't touch, that I haven't soiled. You place within me, bara, a new heart. And, and so David, he cries out to the Lord. How is it that David can be called the man after own, God's own heart? It's because David recognized his sin and he came humbly before God and he cried out to God. And we might look at Psalm 51 and we go, hey, wait a minute, David, you said against you and you only have I committed this sin and done this wickedness in your sight, God. Wait a minute, David, you did this to Bathsheba. What about Uriah, her husband? What about your men? What about all the the, the uh, servants in your house that sat there and watched you do what you did? What about your most one of your most battle-tested warriors that was so faithful to you that he wouldn't even go home to his wife when you brought him home to try to cover up your sin? did Didn't you not do it against him? David says, no, I did it against God. And I think it's a far far more grievous sin when we recognize that our sin that we committed against someone else is not someone, not that we just relegate it down to just the, 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 the committing of a sin against another individual, but that that is an actual offense before God. David understood it. I believe it's the reason why God looked at David and said, yeah, David, a man after my own heart. Why? He recognized his sin, his warts. David had many. Abraham had many. Moses had many. Paul had many. You have many. I have many. That's what I love about the Bible. It shows the warts of these guys that are heroes, these gals that are heroes. That's how I identify with it. But the lessons are not just that I can I can learn from their mistakes, but what I, here's the thing that I can also learn from, and it's in this, is what Paul's talking about, is he's going, here's the thing. Abraham, who is a father of faith, really, really, really messed up. But there came a time where God says, Abraham, after Isaac was born, laughter being his name, Isaac, he tells us, God says, I want you to, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son. Do you hear that? Do you hear what God said? Abraham, take your son, your only son, and go sacrifice him in a place where I tell you to take him. And he went to a place called Moriah, which is also Mount Calvary, where Jesus would be sacrificed. Again, symbology, right? Abraham, the father of faith, takes his son, who many estimate was 
quite possibly around 17 years old. My son's 19. If I said, okay, I'm going to put him on a bunch of sticks and I'm going to tie his arms down. Him fully aware that when you start putting things on top of what you just built up a bunch of wood on, that that is going to be the sacrifice. And when I try to take him and put him on, I think that we're going to have a wrestling match. But Isaac didn't do it. He willingly laid down. That's something that, that we don't oftentimes look in on Isaac and the faith that he even had. But Abraham... Take your son, your only son. Wait a minute. What about Ishmael? That was Isaac, or that was Abraham's son, was it not? Wasn't it his firstborn son? I mean, come on, from his loins? And God says, I don't recognize that. That was not mine. That was not what I did. That's not what I ever sanctioned. That's not what I asked for. That's not, that was not obedience. That was disobedience. Take your son, your only son Isaac, to a place to sacrifice him. And you remember, I don't, I don't, I'm running out of time, but here's the thing. He says, and offer him in a place where I will show you. And so he takes a couple of servants. You're Abraham. You now have this new son. 17 years, maybe, somewhere around there. You love him so much. God tells you to go and take him and sacrifice him. What are you going to say to your wife? It's her only son. She waited 90 years to have this son. Do you think that she'd be a little upset if you said, yeah, I'm going to go out and... God told me to go sacrifice our kid. And he never said that to Sarah. Then he started getting a little wise. He said, honey, uh, the lad and I, we are going to go and sacrifice and we'll come home. You see, there's a, a, a distant understanding there that Abraham knew that God had promised him already once that it was through Isaac that all the nations would be blessed. It was through his seed, through the son. And Abraham began to learn. He began to learn in faith. I don't know how this is going to happen. But one thing I know is that God said that my legacy, that my posterity, that the line of the Messiah is going to come through me and through my son and continue on through the world. All nations of the earth are going to be blessed through this kid. He doesn't have a, he doesn't have an heir yet. He doesn't have a son yet. And so if I go and sacrifice him and kill him as God has called me to do, I don't understand how God is going to fix this. But just like I didn't understand that God was going to give me a child and I tried to fix it, my wife tried to fix it by sleeping with another woman. I've learned my lesson that that's not how you do it. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to do what God called me to do. And as Abraham did, I'm sure grief stricken. Laying his son, 17 year old son, who I think willingly 
unless Abraham was just one big stud. Tied him to the altar. And I'm sure Abraham probably sat there and was counting down. God, please stop this. Stop this. I don't know how you're going to do this. But you remember they had the two men that were with them that walked and accompanied them to the base of the hill. And Abraham says, you guys wait here. The lad and I are going to go yonder and we're going to sacrifice. And we, don't, don't mistake that word. Abraham said, we will return to you. Abraham, not knowing how it was going to happen, but he believed God. God accounted it unto him for righteousness, right? For the baby. He's learned a lesson. And as he's about to come down upon his own son, and God sees his willingness to obey, unlike he had done before, he said, Abraham, stop. There's a ram caught in a thicket just over the, over yonder. You see it? Yes, Lord. I can imagine. He's wailing. He is weeping. I, I can't even imagine to come to that place where you're obeying God and you're about to do something so heinous. And yet here he is. And God stops him and he says, there's a ram caught in a thicket. Right over there. There's a lamb. <laughs> the Lord Abraham will provide himself a sacrifice. And many of your Bibles will use the little word for and it will be in italics in your Bible. The Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice. But that for is not there. There was a message that God was speaking to Abraham at that moment. Abraham, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. What does this have to do with it? Symbology. Once again, the father offering his son upon Mount Moriah. Or about 15, 1800 years later, there wouldn't be a ram caught in a thicket the next time. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53 that it pleased the father to bruise his son. It was Jesus that was the son that was being willing, was willingly being offered upon that same hill, that same exact hill. And thus fulfilled the prophecy of God saying, I will provide myself a sacrifice. I will be the sacrifice. Everything that happened in the Old Testament is a picture of something in the new. And, and, and God is speaking to Abraham and he said, this is what I wanted you to do. But because he did the thing in the flesh, it has caused such a ripple effect through the annals of mankind. All the way from that point, all the way until today, we still feel it. Don't mistake, Christian, that you're Helping God out, quote unquote, helping God out is going to produce anything other than the flesh. God's never going to recognize the, the deeds of our flesh. And, and it's in that, that that when we do that, we just create problems. And, and so the idea would be, 
can we take God at his word and can we be patient when we don't want to be patient? It's not happening fast enough. Can you be patient? God said this. Can you be patient? Well, are you willing to be obedient to what it is that God's called for you, for you to be, for you to do? Or will you, like Abraham and Sarah, become anxious because it's not happening fast enough? And so you, you help God out. And by you helping God out, you create a deed of the flesh that is going to sow repercussions from that point on. And you might sit there and think, oh, really? I mean, come on. I'm just me. I'm not Abraham. Well, I venture to say that Abraham probably felt a lot like you back in that day. He just probably felt, I'm just a normal guy. My mistake? Are you kidding me? Can you imagine what would happen? What do you think Abraham would say if you could go back in in the histories of mankind, in the past of mankind's history, and and in and walk in? Knock on the door, walk in when Sarah and Abraham are having this conversation and they bring in Hagar to see if she's game with it. If you could knock on the door and go, Abe, hey, 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 Abraham, sir, Sarah, ma'am, Hagar, please don't do this. If you only know what what is going to happen by this sin. Now, how easy would it be for me, for you, for any of us to sit there and go, are you kidding me? This one sin you're saying is going to, it's going to reverberate for thousands of years. There's going to be hatred. There's going to be wars and much bloodshed because of this actual action. You're kidding me. I'm just Abraham. I'm just, I'm a nomad. I'm from another land. Who are you talking to? I'm just Abraham. Sometimes we don't realize what God wants to do in our life. And we sometimes minimize the effect of our sin and how it can affect not just our own lives, but others' lives down the road. And any time that we take matters into our own hands, be it in any manner, you might think, but it's a good thing. Because we're actually, I'm actually doing what I think God said I was supposed to do. And yet down in your heart, you're going, but I don't think he would have done it this way. I have to believe that Abraham and Sarah both thought, this is weird. I would never have thought that God would have ever done it this way. But it's the only way we can see it happening. So let's go for it. We gotta be careful that we try to spiritualize the deeds of our flesh to make them sound good, to make them sound religious, to make them sound spiritual, that God is behind it when God is not behind it at all. Because we just create problems. And so here we have this is not God's plan. This was not God's design. This wasn't God's purpose. And now you might look at this and go, well, Pastor Don, I'm of the opinion that if this is in the Bible, that it was God's plan. I mean, if, if you know, this whole thing with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, or the bondwoman, the, the free and, you know, Isaac and Ishmael, I think it was all of God's plan. I think that he knew it all along. Here, here's what I, here's what I would say. 
Just because God can know past from beginning and, and all of that. It's a dangerous road to go down when you start going down a road like that. Because you can start living in sin and go, well, God knew I was going to live in sin and that must be God's plan. I had an affair on my wife, got, you know, got her pregnant, got four more kids over here. That was God's plan. He knew that was going to happen. So I've, that's, that was God's plan. That was God's purpose. Perish the thought, my friend. Don't ever say that it was God's plan for you to sin. It was never God's design for Abraham to sin. It was not God's desire that Abraham sinned. Now, just because God can make beauty out of ashes does not mean that God sanctioned the sin that Abraham and Sarah came up with. The scheme. But Paul took it and said, all right, as grievous as this is, and I don't want to finish, I'll finish with this. I'll get into verses one through six next week. But to finish this, Paul takes this and he says, as grievous as this whole story is, and it's hard for me as Paul to look back and see Abraham, a man that I so highly respect, that this is a mark on his character. This is a mark on his life. This is a mark that is reverberating even to this day. I have to bring him up. We all love Abraham. Jews love Abraham. I love Abraham. Gentiles can love Abraham. That's okay. The thing is, it's hard to sit there and say, you know what, but he blew it. That's what Paul's doing right here. He's saying, but but Abraham blew it. He blew it, but I'm going to take this thing and I'm also going to give you a little symbology here. Hagar is a type of the world. Abraham is a type of believer. He's the believer. He's a faith. Abraham slept with the world and what he produced was Ishmael, which is the flesh. And God will not recognize the deeds of the flesh. God had a plan. His original plan was the perfect plan. Abraham, you are faith. Through your wife, promise would produce the son of the promise. If you just do it my way. I will recognize only that which I have called you to do. Take your son, your only son. I don't recognize Ishmael. I only recognize Isaac. Paul says, so with all of that said, let me read this and then I'm going to pray. Let me read it again. Now, maybe this will make a little bit more sense to us. Paul says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, verse one, verse 21, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, 
The one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. The, one, the bondwoman was Hagar, the other by a free woman, that was Sarah. But he who was of the bondwoman, Ishmael, was born according to the flesh. And he of the free woman, Isaac, through promise. Which both things are symbolic. These are symbolic. For these are actually the two covenants that we can see. The one from Mount Sinai, which is the law, it gives birth to bondage. It's Hagar. It gives birth to bondage. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. What's Mount Sinai? That's where the law was given. Right? So Hagar is this law, and it corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. Right now, in Jerusalem, what Paul is saying, they are finding their righteousness based in the law. And the law is, it brings a man and a woman and a child into bondage. And you're never going to have true freedom in the law. But the Jerusalem that's above, the promised coming Jerusalem, that new Jerusalem, if you will, above, it's free. It's the mother of us all, man. It's what we're longing for. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you do who do not travail. For the desolate, the Gentiles, have even more than the children of the Jews. Then she who has a husband, now we, brethren, he says, as Isaac, as Isaac was, we are children of promise. We're children of promise. We're children of the promise of the coming of the Messiah is what he's talking about. But as he who was born according to the flesh, Ishmael, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, Isaac, even so it is now. <laughs> this was written... <laughs> Let me tell you guys, this thing was written, let me tell you, about A.D. 49. Almost 2,000 years ago, this thing was written. And Paul says, I'm telling you, it's even happening right now. It's still happening. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman. Hagar and her son, Ishmael, for the son of the bondwoman, Ishmael, and and uh, Hagar shall not be heir with the son, Isaac, of the free woman, Sarah. Which again are symbolic of Jesus Christ, right? So then, brethren, we're not children of the bondwoman, but we are children of the free. Paul's using a symbology and saying, though... Through this mess up, we can draw an analogy. We can draw a picture. We can we can have a fixture in front of us that says, doing it in the flesh, you're never going to satisfy God. But doing it according to his promise through Jesus Christ and him crucified, that's where the Jerusalem from above is free. That's where you will be free. Jesus said it, didn't he? In John chapter 8, he says, listen, you remember it was the woman caught in the act of adultery and, and all of the men brought all their stones to kill this woman? I, I always crack up because the man's never there. It's probably one of their buddies. 
But they just cast the woman down that was caught in the act of adultery. And they're about to stone her to death. And they tell Jesus, hey, 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 the law says that we're supposed to stone such a person. What do you say? He says, yep, you're right. It does. But here's here's let me just ask you this. Uh, Let's do it. But he who's here, who is without. And I know we just broadly say and see this. He who is without sin, any sin. Which more emphatically, many expositors believe what this says is he who is without the same exact sin that you're accusing this woman of. So he even identifies it, even specifies it even down more saying, you hypocrites, you're here to stone this woman because you want to destroy me in front of the eyes of the people. But I'm going to say, here's the thing. He who is without the same sin that you're about to kill this woman with, let him be the one that casts the stone first. And then Jesus knelt back down and started drawing in the ground. And I, I, I don't know what Jesus was drawing in the ground. I love to, to speculate but don't take that as doctrine. But I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, in my mind, here's what I, I think that maybe kind of happened. He wiped out the dirt and they're going, what's he doing down there? That crazy guy. And he says, Ari. There's Ari right there. June 22nd. 49 or, or 31. Rachel. Oh, Ari takes off. He drops a stone and he gets out of there. Shlomo. I just like that name. That's an actual name. And isn't that just a cool name? I, if I had another boy, his name would be Shlomo. <laughs> you don't know how close, Nate. Here's the thing. Shlomo, a date, and a woman's name, Leah. I don't know why I brought Leah and Rachel up. Those are just names that came. But here's the thing. He starts writing in the ground and begins to document. I don't know that he says this, but it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, Jesus knows all this stuff, right? And he starts writing in the ground. It says, from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and they took off. I'm thinking that he didn't have to get all the way through the names before all the stones went down. Because nobody wants their own sin exposed. But what happened is that when all the stones were on the ground, probably 30 stones left on the ground, there was one woman left and 30 stones on the ground. And he stood up and he looks at this woman. He says, woman, where are those who accuse you? She goes, there are none. This is a woman who thought that the very next thing that she would feel would be the blunt force trauma of about a five pound stone coming up against her head. And Jesus has just saved her life. And Jesus says, where are those that accuse you? And she goes, there are none. And he says, I don't accuse you either. Now, lest you think that Jesus was okay with their sin, you've got to finish the rest of his statement. He called it for what it was. He says, now go but sin no more. Just don't do that anymore. Don't go down that road. That was not a good road for you to go down. 
he then goes on in, 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 in that story and he, he begins to say later on in that chapter, he says, if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. You'll be completely free indeed. Jesus Christ is here to set you free and set me free. And so oftentimes, man, we find ourselves in bondage. Oftentimes bondage to our own making, to our own doing, to our own fault. Because we've tried to help God out instead of just obeying him. And we create things that are just ugly. The enemy loves to tee off on us on those, doesn't he? Because what he can do is he can keep us quiet. Because we don't feel worthy to be able to go out and represent Christ. Stop it, Christian. Stop it. Please understand that the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross set you free. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Go and live your life for Jesus, man. Go and sin no more. I'm not saying stay in your sin. Just go and sin no more. Live for Christ. And we'll talk about standing fast in our liberty next week. Amen. Father, thank you so much for today. And God, I pray that there's something here has touched us. Lord, I know you touch my life and I hope that you're touching other people's lives. I pray, God, that we can grow from lessons like this. The reality of the fact that so many times I take matters into my own hands and I do things that I think are going to help you out to speed you up because sometimes I get impatient with you, Lord. And without fail, fail every single time that I've tried to help you out, I've just muddied the waters and made things worse. God, would you give me, would you give us in this room the ability and the desire and the wherewithal, the warning signs, Lord, and the power by your Holy Spirit to not act until you tell us to move. To not say something that we think someone needs to hear because they're living in utter rebellion without it first passing your desk, without it first passing your filter of grace and mercy. We just talked about the woman caught in the act of adultery and, 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 and if, if, if all of us would be honest, there's a few things that we might want to say to that woman. She got herself into it. And in our hypocrisy and in our high-mindedness, we might sit there and be able to give that woman a, a piece of our mind because she needs to hear it. When in all actuality, you didn't. You loved her. You didn't bless her sin. You acknowledged that it was sin. And you shared, go and sin no more. But I'm not here to beat you down. 
If anybody could have thrown a stone, it was Jesus. And he didn't throw a stone. And, and so, Lord, help us to, to be like you. Even in those times where we in our own personality say, well, this is just the way that I made. God, may we abandon that thought once and for all. This is just the way that I am. This is how I'm made up. God, you tell us in your word, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm not the same person that I used to be. But I'm Italian. No, you're a Christian. But I'm an A-type personality. No, I'm a Christian. And I represent Christ from this day forward. No more excuses, Lord. Falling back on, this is just how I am. Help us to love you and live for you and serve you and bless people and minister to people. And Lord, when the line, when there's a lineup of people that want to just destroy someone with their stones, may we, Lord, step in, defend, minister, Love, show grace, show mercy. And watch what you can do in a life that is grateful and acknowledges that you are who you are, that you are the son that has the power and the authority to set us free for the rest of our lives. God, may we live that life for you. May we abandon who we are and live for you. May we abandon what we think is right and only do the things that you call us to do. And I know that's a hard thing. Because Lord, I so oftentimes, I say, man, I'm going to die you to you, Lord. You know how many times I say that and oftentimes many, many times a day. It's not about me, Lord. It's not about me. And then I go 10 minutes later and it is all about me. God, would you help me to not live for me? Would you help us not to live for ourselves? Would you help us to live for you? For in so doing, we will please you and we will live a life of action. We will live a life of fulfillment. We will live a life of usefulness for you. Thank you, God, for reminding us our role and our position as Christians, as sons and daughters, and the freedom that we have in you. Now, may we stand fast in the liberty which we have that is directly given to us by you through Jesus Christ. His death and his resurrection for the rest of our lives. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. 
Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.